Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. <clears throat> okay, that's it. I'm ready to go now. That was at a that was at a substantial di- distance. Right, that wasn't directly into the microphone. I didn't mean to be a jerk, dude. I'm just microfono. Uh, you just spoke from the heart there. That just mm-hmm. was an outpouring. <laughs> um, I'm, still, I'm still very aware of my whistling nose. Can you? I don't hear a whistling. I don't I hear, hear a whistle. Okay, good. Yeah. It's like, I wonder if that would be, if if we were ever in the movie X-Men, I wonder if that would be your mutation, dude, that would make you a superhero. <laughs> this is tin whistle nose, man. <laughs> like, I could fly. Wait a minute. Connor would have the Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> You'd get to the fight. There's two whistles out of your nose. <laughs> I love that you have that right next to you. <laughs> Tin whistle, huh? What? Hey, wash that off too, by the way. No. I did. I, I wiped <laughs> okay. it with my hoodie. Ooh. Sanitized. Cleaned. That's why we wear jeans, dude. They're napkins for your legs. <laughs> Is that from something? No, I just, just thought of that. Leg napkins. Fun. Megan, that's the title of the episode. Leg <laughs> napkins. <laughs> that's why you wear jeans. <laughs> Oh, okay, Mets. How was uh? I've been dying to to hear. How was the the Peterson lecture? Oh yeah. Oh, it was great, man. It was really great. We uh, I went down with yeah, buddy, Father Paul Porter and one of his friends, and we got these VIP tickets to go and watch one of his lectures. And the really cool venue. It's called the Tabernacle. is a is an old church in Atlanta. It's been renovated to uh, yeah, to be one of these venues for like concerts and and lectures like this so it was perfect for peterson to be given this lecture in front of this like huge pipe organ behind him <laughs> and it's yeah, all this like symbolic paintings on the walls and all these different things and so it was i wouldn't say that i learned anything particularly new about it he, he's been talking a lot about exodus which i've also been reading and praying with and so that was it corresponded nicely with it, but um, he's like, he's just an event. It's like an experience to go and to listen to him. But whatever this Jordan Peterson phenomena is, it was fun to get to actually be there in person and to see what that's like and honestly see like, I think he's the real deal, man. Um, We got to listen to his lecture. He went through rule six of his newest book beyond order, which is I think it's something like abandon all ideology. And again, he answered that by going through a lot of the book of, of Exodus, which is a really interesting way to answer, to answer that rule and to explain it. Um, and then when the show ended, uh, well also his wife, Tammy opened for him and Tammy has been like really sick and, it's just cool to see all these people that you hear about and you get these updates and like, I've been praying for Tammy. I know she had a really uh, terminal diagnosis of cancer and somehow survived it. And so, uh, yeah, I've been praying for her and it was cool to see her. And, and then Jordan, um, he gave the lecture. And then when the lecture ended, there was 
a specific group of people. They're the VIPs, so it's not a big deal. It's not a big <laughs> deal. Don't worry about it. Um, everybody else left, and the VIPs got to stay around, and we got to do like a meet and greet with them. And did your uh, nose whistle? Like, does it happen when you get nervous? No, 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 okay. no, no, not at all. But I was. You had a breathe right strip on, right? When you met him, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had one of those. Yeah, and like sometimes I get nervous and I can't see you really well, and so I was basically dressed like a just like pitters. a swimmer. You're you're sweating, and it's just your shirt is soaked. Yeah, in sweat. Oh my gosh, it's such a pleasure to meet you. And so I had my Rex Rexpex on, and I had a breathe right nose tape <laughs> over. Rex Yes. Yeah. He and probably gets some, that a lot. He gets that a lot. Yeah, I had some gloves just to. I have hyperhidrosis, so my hands are very sweaty. One germs, dude. Thing. That makes sense. Yeah. So I think it went well. He was. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't know if the word is impressed, but he was definitely interested. <laughs> I showed up like that, dude. There were. I will say that his crowd of people was so interesting. There was like a hillbilly dude in overalls that had like a Jordan Peterson lobster T-shirt. Um, and they sit like through a, these like hour and a half lectures on Exodus. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. So when I met him, I shook his hand and I, I gave him that rosary. And I said, yeah, I, I've been praying this a lot. And, and I blessed it. And we were in our callers and said, I, I want to give this to Tammy, your wife. And, and he was just like, <laughs> he's just so, he's a really humble guy. And so he does the head bow. He's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And, you know, how's your church doing? And, starts asking me a couple of questions about that and i'm like man actually i I got a great parish and it's it's kind of booming and he's like oh i'm so glad to hear that that's great good news good news i was like dude i use all your stuff your stuff is like the i use it to preach all the time and so i'm so grateful for your work and like i love what you do and it's just been a real blessing for my priesthood and he was just like oh (laughs) with the, the head bow really yeah really quite humble and I mean, I can't You're not doing the it's voice. Like. It's something like a Mike Tyson voice. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's, that's well, not what seems. I'm saying. Yeah. No, I can't really do it. Paul thinks, Father Paul thinks he has a good one. But uh, gosh, I hate to even. Yeah, it's the worst. So then we all got to do the meet and greet. And then we stayed around and did like another individual Q&A with him. And he did, it was like kind of a private little, um, that must be so tiring for him, dude. I cannot believe it. And, and I will say this, this is just my own personal gripe. That was when the people in the audience in our little VIP crew got to ask questions to him and they, they were much more personal in nature. Like, Hey, what are your thoughts on specific issues that are going on today? So it was like his principles related to particular issues in the world today. Man, dude, I was about to go ham on some people's heads because the stupid questions that were asked mm. was like the, and you know he's going to answer every question thoroughly, right? Like he really takes it, and so every single question that was dumb, like great man, there's another That's 10 twenty minutes, minutes right? Where he's got to talk about how he doesn't understand, you know, the spiritual effects of MDMT and acid trips. Oh gosh, like, Who like cares? dude, he's not going to affirm. Your desire to do LSD as a right. spiritual awakening. 
All right. Quit asking that question. <laughs> hey, will Stop you give it. us um, tacit permission to do drugs, even though yeah. your whole thing is about personal responsibility? <laughs> <laughs> and the kid is like poking at him like, have you ever done acid? I'm like, dude, Ugh. I'm going to spear you. <laughs> I, I, you. I'll do it, man. I'm going to spear just, you. Just destroy him. So it was just a lot of fun. And we got to, you know, we turned it into a, a night and had the little fancy dinner in Atlanta and, wow. um, you know, beforehand. And so it was, it was just a lot of fun. Um, yeah, he's a guy that we've talked a lot about and I've, I've listened to a lot of his lectures and a lot of his thought. And, um, and so it was really cool to just get to meet him. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. interesting how it's, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking of someone I know who, who, went from atheist agnostic to like listening to Sam Harris, one of the new atheists who then talked to Jordan Peterson, who then he started getting really into Jordan Peterson, who then had Bishop Barron on his podcast and then listened and started like, who is this Bishop? And then started devouring word on fire. And now is a Catholic. Mm. And he listens to us. He doesn't listen to us. No. (laughs) Oh man. I thought that was the monkey bar. Yeah. No. I thought we were coming. Yeah, okay. No, we're so. like a whole separate jungle gym. But just seeing like his place in that between Sam Harris and Bishop Barron, like what is that? You know, because he doesn't, he's not like a Catholic speaker. and he. No. But I'm also uh, trying to think of like any analog to him in recent history. Like who who's a public intellectual, a professor who can fill theaters? It's kind of crazy. Hmm. <clears throat> well, they used to say, I mean, some of the debates between like, um, who is it? Hilaire Belloc and, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. He was the famous English atheist that they would, they would debate pretty regularly. What's the guy's name? What era is Hilaire Belloc? Well, that's like Chesterton era. Mm. Yeah. They, they would have been around, yeah, like turn of the century, 1900s. Um, yeah, but I think they would fill audiences. But that's all was also in the university system yeah. over in like... Yeah, well, also the Lincoln-Douglas debates and, would, you know, fill up big theaters in small towns in Illinois. And they were, you know, like three and a half hour debates but but to your point the scale of what this guy's doing right i mean there were thousands of people in this venue Hmm. and i and that's one stop i think he said he's doing at least 150 cities his tour because he's coming to peoria in may oh cool and i mean it's the amount of these lectures he's doing is insane and what's cool yeah. too, I think it seems to me like they're always on a different thing. He doesn't ever just, he's not going around giving the same talk. It's kind right. of right. Whatever he's thinking about that day. Yeah. No, I'm curious. Seen, oh, good. Yeah. And like we can talk more on him generally or that phenomenon, but I'm very curious actually that he would, cause I have not read beyond order. I've read the 12, 12 rules, which is that notion of like, what's rule six? Like, 
get rid of ideologies. Yeah. Abandon all ideology. Yeah. That's man. That's very interesting to think that he would use Exodus as like a framework for that. It's clever. Like it's very, very good. Um, yeah. Well, it just reminds me of something Baron said in a, in a, like a homily recently that stuck out to me, but he, he said something to the effect of, like it's it's very consistent biblically that you have to look at evil like you have to that's one of the like the initial moves to address it is just to simply look at it um would you just look at it just look at it don't look at it miriam um (laughs) but that's that's maureen stop looking in the door (laughs) that's that's the bat the irish guy with the bat Maureen, stop looking in the door. <laughs> it's a bad, I have it's a bad. no idea what that is. Catch him, Daddy. Catch him, Daddy. You never seen that? No. Oh, I'll send what it to you that? after on my dumb phone. Yeah, flip me on that, dude. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's just interesting of Exodus. Of uh, it's like a yeah. There's there's a certain I don't know. There's like a certain um harshness is the word that's coming to mind i think you could at least use radical of just i mean just the whole story of exodus of like leaving egypt is that's like not in a um yeah there's like a certain almost like violence to it of like they can't go back across the sea you know there's this refusal from god to let his people go um and I don't, so I'm just like processing that to use that in, in a framework to like, to argue for and explain how to abandon ideologies. That, that's great is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. No, Exodus is, I mean, Schoenstein was so big on it. Um, when we were going through our old Testament classes, Father Schoenstein, he thinks that it's, it's, it's essentially the hermeneutic to understand the old Testament and the scriptures that that it's this all journey all of it is a journey from slavery uh back into the promised land that there's an exile and then god comes to save his people and bring them into this place of life and and love and you know peterson he makes a good point and i think it's something that um connor you kind of pithily said it one one day that sounds like me that that <clears throat> he said pitifully <laughs> <laughs> it was a pitiful attempt to say what I'm about to say, okay? And and it's that leaving Egypt, like that's no big deal. Uh that that that's no easy process. And when you leave Egypt, which he would say Egypt is a symbol of ideological possession, which which leads to slavery and mm. and a lack of freedom. But what that provides is like a lot of structure and a lot of needs for the human person and for a community that is incredibly tough to abandon. So it's like, why are people ideologically possessed? It's like, well, because it does a lot for you. And guess what? When you leave ideological possession and, and uh, yeah, these different ideations like that, you don't go right to the promised land, but that they go into nothing. They go into the freaking desert. Mm-hmm where they got to roam lost and have to essentially come up with their own mind and spirit. That's what's the gift of God for them that leads them through the desert into the promised land. So, 
so he so he states the problem really really well before he he actually provides an answer to it which is why do ideologies exist it's like because there's something like incomplete religious structures that allow people to live in a somewhat reasonable way but that ultimately leads to slavery mm-hmm. and that's pretty enjoyable but right, it's still it's slavery. secure it's secure like the flesh pots in egypt and yeah i don't have to think too hard um like i have my it kind of reminds me of the old i think it's monty python john cleese has a funny thing from the 80s or whatever on extremism and the, why extremism is so tempting it's like you get to be really really angry and self-righteous and not have to um actually temper any of your passions you basically just get to be the same <laughs> like immature person but then look down your nose at, at all this huge swath of humanity that's just wicked and stupid um and it doesn't matter which side you're on because like each side has its own enemies that they don't ever engage with but are clearly bad people so yeah the the slavery of ideology it kind of um i'm reading this book right now for a book club called the cypresses believe in god um it's very good um tom Byrne was the one that recommended it and i was skeptical because his his sales pitch was oh it's a about this like middle-class family in a small town in spain in the years prior to the spanish civil war and it's just kind of like following their family which um it's not particularly exciting but the writing is really good and also just the the era and like that era of european politics when you know, like Marxism was kind of on the rise and becoming trendy and all of these, um, yeah, Mussolini's and Hitler's and, uh, and what have you's were like just kind of coming into ascendancy. These, these latent ideologies were kind of like bearing fruit and really, um, wow, like kind of wicked ways and very affected normal people. And Spanish culture was pretty intact. You know, it was like, I think it's still a monarchy or at least that, you know, the monarchs were still around, maybe like England, they still have them, but they had other structures in place as well. And like certain parts of Spain were declaring independence, which I think still happens. Doesn't, didn't one of those regions, this is three dogs North ignorance, but like the different regions of, of Spain had to speak different languages, you know, Catalan, Castilian, yeah. Basque and all that stuff. Anyways, um, this family is like the dad kind of grew up in a poor family that's all kind of anarchists and communists and socialists and stuff like they're they're kind of in the in vogue political climate um and then the mom grew up in basque country and she's like super catholic you know not really involved in politics um but you know as a traditionalist she she goes to mass every day or you know her, her dream is for one of her sons to be a priest and Actually, both of them go to seminary at different times. And that's kind of an interesting story, too, like the Spanish seminary in the 30s. But the one older son, he leaves the seminary, comes back, and he's like very interested in this whole world of like all these political meetings and these, you know, you got the socialists, you've got the traditionalists, you've got the Democrats and the Republicans and whatnot. And um, his cousin, who's a couple years older, comes into town. And his cousin is from Madrid, and he is... uh, He's an anarchist and he was part of like the church burnings in Madrid. It actually um, talks about how like he, he was in there, like he shot one of the saint statues when he ran in and, and like threw a Maltev cocktail and burned this church down in Madrid. And uh, 
here he is like staying with his family and the mom is super Catholic and the dad, because of her kind of goes to mass, even though he's from this kind of atheist background. And all of the like complicated different ideologies, so to speak. Uh, um, but all within the milieu of just like Spanish culture and like no, nobody's really killing each other yet. There's not a civil war yet, although you kind of know that that's coming. And the kid comes into town and Ignacio, the 17 year old, the, the son who had been to seminary, goes to mass. Now he works at a bank with all these different people, um, kind of a rough crowd. His cousin, who's 19, comes into town. And he goes like, so let's let's go out. Let's go out in the town. Like, how's the livestock in this town? And he's talking about women and just like so just like immature and um, consumed by his passions. But he's also like very politically self-righteous and sure of himself. And, um, you know, he goes to the meeting of the anarchists in in the small town and he's like sickened by how silly they are and how they have no like experience with real riots and protests and all this stuff. And, and he's just pontificating about how um, the church keeps people slaves basically. And this is like a very, this is one paragraph where the kid kind of realizes like, no, you're a slave basically. Hmm. Um, like you come into this town and he loves this town. This kid's grew, grown up in this town. He, part of what he didn't like about seminary was that he missed all the people and his family. And, um, so he's like wrestling with all these ideologies and hearing the different opinions and he's interested and he wants to be a part of it, but he realizes like, you're all about freedom, but you're like, you can't enjoy the city because you're just looking at the women like livestock, like, oh, these women aren't attractive enough or, you know, um, whereas his brother is off in the seminary, like cleaning toilets and he's happy. Um, and he would, you know, the, this kid would look down his nose like, oh, he's a slave to the church or these monsignors or whatever. And it all reminds me of, um, I mean, what you're talking about with, with Peterson, but also Giussani in a uh, religious sense. He talks about how ideology and, and prejudice is just like the shortcut to engaging with life. You don't have to actually let reality impress itself upon you because you can come at reality with like predetermined categories and like anything that doesn't fit it, you just ignore and everything that does fit, it just bolsters you more and you're, you're more and more sure of yourself. Um, and like you're saying with the desert, it's really hard to let all that go and just be like truly open to another person, to reality, to the way things actually are, instead of coming at reality all the time with this framework, this picture of how it actually is before you let it show show itself to you um and that to me like that kid coming into town sure of his anarchism but really just an immature teenager who can't um mm. see women as people <laughs> that's like iconic of that you know you are a slave and you are looking down your nose at everybody else because you think they're slaves right. you know that's all i have to say about that What's the, I'm very curious to, I haven't read uh, The Religious Sense by Jasani, but is his, would you say his, his thesis there is that, um, I, I guess my question there, it, like, would he, he kind of fall more in lines of like a phenomenological, like way, way of thinking of like, with reality pressing in on, on you or allowing that, like, is he saying you, like, have a perception of reality or you actually encounter reality to become yourself or what's he saying there? I don't know if he would be a phenomenologist. 
<laughs> no, he's definitely not that. He's definitely not that. Um, <laughs> but his his main thing is uh, arguing for the reasonableness of faith. Okay. Um, from uh, from the perspective of sort of like after modernity has dissolved all certainty and said, you know, religious truth, spiritual truth is it's all personal opinion. It's kind of like Newman um, against liberalism in the classical sense in religion, where it's just like a, all of it's a matter of private judgment, personal opinion, that there's an objectiveness to reality. And yet, like, we have to assent to it. You know, you have to let it um, into your heart, into your mind, uh, without just automatically thinking like, oh, all religious people are stupid. Um, therefore, I don't have to take it seriously. And vice versa. You know, if you're religious, you can't just say like, oh, yeah, um, I do my works of piety. I'm going to heaven. Everybody else is going to hell. Like not not actually engaging with people's at real experiences um, is cutting you off from the fullness of life, which is what Christianity is all about. Yeah. And maybe if I can add that and if we have any CL listeners, they're, they're so attentive to what Jasani teaches and uh, and to what CL professes like they're they're really nuanced of mm-hmm. how they think about it at least all my my cl buddies um and they also don't like being categorized so mm-hmm. i'm sure this whole discussion of trying to categorize jasani's thesis and thought mm-hmm. uh will be heart-wrenching i for think him. you just have to say human person and experience a lot and experience yeah. yep absolutely. shout out to all of our favorite <laughs> cl priests though <laughs> yeah yeah you know who we you actually, are yeah, 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 we've had some awesome emails from them. Um, but I would say that they are, they do have um, a, like a pedagogy where, where their their mode of coming to a conclusion and how they analyze experience is maybe within the same spirit of phenomenology where they don't come at a thing scientifically to analyze it and to break it down, but they actually allow the experience of life to reveal itself to them. And I know one of Jasani's big points is if you're honest to your human experience, it's undeniable that there is some sort of a, a religious sense that's present within the human person. And which is also individually true, but it's also universally true. If you look throughout history and also look at the universal human experience, that there is something like the religious sense. And so it's not fair to be objective about what it means to be a human person and to silo that like this is just for weird religious people but he's saying no like what if we actually took that seriously in the study of the human person like anthropologically but then also that's why you have to be honest with yourself and to say like well what if you took your own human experience seriously then there would be aspects that are are supernatural that like draw you up into something more than just what your five senses can can experience. So there's something more to the human person than can be scientifically explained. And so one of his underpinning encouragements is like, actually take that seriously. Mm-hmm. Because that's not something that has been mapped onto the human person, but that's something that the human person senses. That we're not creating that, but that just taking reality as it is there's like an undeniable component that is this religious sense there and so i I, that seems like his big 
urging, um, like, well, no, if you actually do take that seriously, then there's something to investigate there. Hmm. That's very pitifully said. <laughs> we used a lot of big words today. <laughs> I, I'm exhausted from all these big words. This is hard. Phenomenological. Phenomenological. I do, I do think that like taking your own heart seriously is uh, <clears throat> that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was really good. I mean, to just kind of bring it back to the Peterson thing and bring it back to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like you're saying let go and let God. Let go and let God. Um, yeah. Have a... Merry little Christmas. Have an attitude of gratitude. It's like, just... Just remember who the reason is for the season. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Um, yeah, and praying with Exodus and like just a, a, around what we're talking about with the different ideologies is they, they are something like religious systems that are placed on something less than the greatest good. And... And so it elevates something lower up into the position of like religious stature, which becomes super hyper important and it does serve some sort of a function, but, um, it's cool. And like, this is something that just continually blows my mind is that's like a a pattern of reality that's explained in a narrative in scripture in in the story of Exodus. Mm. And it's verifiably true because you can see it happen throughout human history. You can see it happen with the people of Israel and with with Christians and whatever. But then it, it's also like it it personally is true. It reveals a pattern in my life that's identical to what's perceived in Scripture. And like we would say, that's what the mass is. The mass is patterned off of that same movement from darkness into light, from slavery into freedom. It was like this movement from outside of the world into the heavenly Jerusalem through the body of Christ, through Jesus, we enter into salvation. But then all of the nuances of scripture of like the story of Exodus where, and I felt this particularly this, I guess last 45 days or so and entering into Lent, it's like, no, we're, I'm going to live in freedom. And then I have this little Pharaoh in me who's like, yeah, 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 no. No, you're not. <laughs> no, then I come back and like, no, now we're going to do it. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 we're not. There's like even there's like this hardness of heart that's there, and and then you enter into slavery, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's hot, and I'm dying out here in the desert. I want to go back, and mm-hmm. just time and time again, it's true on so many different levels, um, you know, personally and universally, and psychologically, emotionally, spiritually even physically like this, this is the actual physical experience. Like Mm -hmm. that's such a true story. And so it was, it was a cool lens to have been praying with Exodus and then to hear, um, to hear a lecture, which is, he would say is, it's not a metaphysical religious lecture, but it's a psychological perspective on those things. You know, like, yeah, it still stacks up as true. And uh, to be able to receive it in that way, it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. That's cool. It's like Ben Stiller said, "Man, it's a metaphor. It really happened, though." <laughs> <laughs> it's me <clears throat> grabbing the bull by the horns. 
metaphor. <laughs> I know we got to get going here, but you know, the other thing it makes me think of something a seminarian said when I was teaching a, a couple weeks ago about how Jesus pierces hearts with his words, which is one of the reasons why they killed him. Um, because you got ideologues all over the place in the time of Jesus. You know, I was thinking when you were talking about Exodus, you know, this universal human experience of having to let go of our perceptions of things, our conclusions, um, and let ourselves be actually formed out in the desert in the reality of things, which is our total dependence on God. And that is that he loves us and he can be trusted. Uh, and we can let go of these security blankets of our, our own opinions and, of people and of ourselves and of the world and stuff and and just like listen to his voice you got the pharisees the sadducees the zealots the whatevers um who all can't abide christ they can't listen to him and let him pierce their hearts because they know it'll cost them you know they gotta let leave their nets leave their tax posts whatever um to go live in reality naked you know without any of that armor on which is a very vulnerable place. Whereas, say, the woman at the well, you know, here he, here he is and uh, totally pierces her heart and she's just ready to receive it. Now, she does question like, well, they say, you know, our people say we should worship on this mountain, your people say this, and gets into like the whole Jewish-Samaritan debate. And Jesus just speaks right through it to her heart, you know, to the place where she is like made an idol, where she's gone astray into slavery. He's like, I want to give you freedom you know, implicitly in a language she can hear. And, um, and she's just like, okay, you're the son of God. You're the, you're the Messiah. Um, her heart is soft enough to, to hear it as good news. Um, and to me, to me, that seems like a framework to understanding our relationship with Christ is like, yeah, Mike, we all have this hardness of heart, this little Pharaoh in us, but if we let him, he will speak right into it. And it's not something we have to do. Like Christianity is not another ideology um, that we just need to figure it out and do, and do the right one. It's like you said, just abandoning it completely and letting ourselves be um, shown reality because his reality is actually better. (laughs) It seems scary, but I, I think it's better. Me too. I do got to go. All Good right. time being. Good to see you guys. Bye. Follow Free Dogs North on Instagram. Are you ready? Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.